Um, anything in mind? No, I'm open. All right, we'll go open and uh, we'll play a little chess while we're at it. Why not? If you're <laughs> not okay. that I can remember the rules. It's been All right. a decade or two since I played. Better for me then. Uh, welcome to the Right Boundless Podcast. I'm here at the Bike Shed in Los Angeles. I'm sitting with Dutch, one of the owners, founders, bosses, all of the above. How are you doing today, Dutch? I'm okay. I'm a bit tired. Yeah? And if anybody sees a weird eye, I popped a blood vessel in my No, eye. no, you, you, you blocked so it off I, perfectly. I, I, I see it. That's why I'm on this side. So um, I look pretty weird. Cheers. 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 How did you pop a, a blood vessel? I don't know. I did it once before, lifting weights. And then I did it another time, having a really big argument with my cousin. So somewhere between being cross and lifting something heavy, just went. Now you're open to anything. So yeah. my first curiosity is going to be like, okay, lifting, eye vessel, you're a vegan, right? Mostly. Yeah, I like Mostly. to say I'm plant-based because vegan always sounds like a political statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, I, I eat mostly raw, whole plant food because I think we're made that way. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. I don't expect other people it, it, to follow it. Yeah. And if I want a steak, I'll have one. Yeah. It, it, it changes every, every few months. Even water. Like I was, I was hooked on the whole alkaline thing. Oh, you don't thing. want to drink water. That's very dangerous. Yeah. No, no you, you don't. Die. No, yeah. No, no, no. Not that. But, you know, like now I was like hooked on the alkaline waters. Now they're saying alkaline water is not. It's good for a while or sometimes, mm. but you're better off drinking uh, spring water or waters that have minerals in it because that's what your body absorbs and blah, blah, blah. So it's like even something as simple as water, you know, eat eggs. Eggs are great for you. Oh, eggs are bad for you. Cholesterol. You, like it just changes all the time. I've got a good go-to for that. Yeah. So my go-to, because I love reading history, Right. Uh, anything from Noah Yuval Harari through to the Bill Bryson book, A Brief History of Nearly Everything, and, and stuff about sort of the ascent and arrival of man and, and who we are and how long we've been around, uh, which is there's still a lot of controversy about that. Are we right. 150,000 years old? Are we 3,000 years old as Homo sapiens sapiens? The go-to that I have is we've only been farming for 10,000 years, and we've only really had the diet we have now for about 100 so whenever I'm confronted by some doctor or some new book or some quack telling me what to eat or not to eat, I go, what was true 50,000 years ago? Because we've evolved from the previous yeah. Homo erectus into this body. Same body as 150,000 years ago, for argument's sake, just wearing clothes and not in a cave. So whatever they did, Whatever they drank, whatever they ate, whatever they did, when they slept, what they did with their bodies, how much exercise they got. If we do that, that's what we're built for. And right. so anybody that tells me anything that contradicts that, I'm like, well, show me the evidence. Oh, I, and, I, I, I agree with you. And, 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 um, and the reason I started eating plant-based food was not because I think everybody should be plant-based. And it's not about what you don't eat. Right. It's not about giving up this or giving up that. I mean, there are lots of discussions around whether or not cooked animal products are good for you or whatever, and that people will believe what they want to believe. Um, it is really more to do with the fact that I know I've not eaten healthy food for a long chunk of my life. I'm 57. And for 50 years, you I look amazing. I know. For 57, I paid attention to health through exercise. And I paid no attention to health through diet. And I probably drank too much. And I certainly ate much, too much fat and did a lot of keto type stuff and, and kind of didn't really eat plants and kind of raw food and fiber. And, uh, and I just, having tried it a few years ago, eating loads and loads of plants works for me personally. And right. um, I feel so much better. I feel so good on it. And my body works better in every way, especially in the gym or in kind of physical life, um, that I feel like I'm undoing 50 years of it. If, I, if I'd started being a bit more like this when I was 30, I probably wouldn't be so into it, if you see what I mean, I'd be a bit more balanced. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I just look to history. Like, what? No, it, make, it makes sense. I mean, that's, that's the, what the whole paleo diet's all about, right? Well, it was, but then they changed paleo. Because when they first talked about <laughs> paleo diets, and, and I read about this, it was right. interesting. They went to these paleolithic sites and these caveman caves, and look, there's a fire and there's bones, and these guys, they ate meat. It was all meat, and it was amazing, and that was paleo diet. And then they got the electron microscopes out a few years later and went, oh, wait a minute, there's loads of organic debris in the dust, but it's microscopic and we couldn't see it because, you know, carrots don't fossilize. You know? So, you know, it's really difficult to see yeah, yeah. evidence of that. But a lot of the evidence now is that Paleolithic man mostly ate beans and plants. But in our minds from the marketing of the 80s and the 90s, we think they just ate meat because it sticks. Humans, we're a meme culture for a reason. 
Right. We remember shorthand. We don't, we're often too busy and too unfocused to dig deep into anything. So, you know, we remember stuff that's decades old or learning it decades ago that was decades old at the time. When you and I were at school, we probably learned about tectonic plate shift. Well, now they've changed all of that. They, they right. don't think plates shift anymore. They think it's more like a conveyor belt. So we've got conventional wisdom about how the, how the earth moves and how the earth's crust moves. And now it's all and different. And the axis. But and... we still remember what we learned. We're all caught in a little time capsule right. of what we learned when we were most easily influenced. And shortcuts to knowledge are memes. So we remember the top line. And I think it's one of the problems we face as humans in well, the other a complex problem, world. My biggest problem that, that I think really screws it up and fucks it up for everybody is the marketing. You know, like if you mm. go back to the 90s, milk does the body good. Yeah. All these lactose intolerant kids were being shoved milk into their body. And I grew up on milk. I love milk. Mm. But I had friends that were struggling with it. And the doctor says, you got to drink more milk. And you got to do this. It's like, wait, yeah. hold on, time out. Like, it's not good for everybody. Because you know, there's a milk marketing board. Because it, it, there's, it's there's, an industry. But same thing, you know. Now, now there's proof that you know in the 1940s and 1950s, the sugar industry had a big influence on saying eggs, butter, and breakfast and meat is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, eat cornflakes, eat Kellogg's, eat this, and they did this whole campaign. Now, if you look at the pyramid and the good foods that they have right now, Lucky Charms made it. Mm. Lucky Charms is on the, the nutrition food. Which is which about is like, 30 years old, that pyramid. And also it's created... No, 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 the new one. Oh, the new one. The new one. Uh-huh. Lucky Charms is in there. Milk-covered almonds yeah. is on there. And this is like healthy stuff. And you're like, well, wait a minute. And the fact that the market, that it's all... Even breakfast, if you think about mm. breakfast, again, what you said, I go back to 500 years ago. They weren't waking up and having breakfast. You know, sometimes mm. they would go two, three days without food. Yeah. You know, because they had to hunt and they had to gather. And actually, I have a rebuttal for your vegetables and, 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 your, and your, um, uh, yeah, your vegetables and mm. greens. Now there's studies saying that vegetables should be steamed or cooked, and your body can process it much better than if it was not. What's, what's your opinion on that? Because back 500 I mean, years ago... I mean, I'm not ago, a scientist, but yeah. what I would say is for Do you eat 100, mostly... 149,000 years, people weren't steaming their vegetables. So what happened? Were humans awful? Right, that's a good question. We're evolved to live on, that, on a diet that's available. Right. We're not evolved to live on a diet that's better than what's available. Right. And, and, then, and then my rebuttal to that would be, well, who fucking knows? Because there's a lot of people living off junk food right now. And they get, you, you hear the stories, guys, 60 years old, eats bacon, drinks beer, smokes cigarettes, and, and makes it somehow. And, well, and, yeah. and I don't get that either. Yeah, well, you do hear those stories. I, I had a grandmother who drank, you know, gin every night and smoked two packets of cigarettes a day. And she made it till 80 and right. she was amazing. And then she just dropped dead and you go, ah, great life. But the thing is, what you see every day on the streets right. is very, very unhealthy people who look unwell. It, 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 and also a Especially kind of 20, an attitude that as you get older, you should give up on your body and your health. I mean, I know so many people my age who've got heart problems, angina, they're overweight, uh, they're on statins, they're on pre-diabetic medicine. And they also, they kind of accept that it's either in their genes, which isn't right because epigenetics no. is more powerful than genetics. What you do with your genes is more powerful. Um, but, but also um, this kind of idea that that's kind of okay because you're older. Uh, years ex- ago, they accept it, yeah. Yeah, years ago I had a, a nerve pain problem with my left leg and I couldn't run on a treadmill for quite a while and I, I lost coordination. I did something. I, I pinched a nerve or something in my neck. And then I went to see the doctor and I'm 35 years old and I said, I can't run uh, a six-minute mile anymore on the treadmill. And she looked at me and she said, well, at your age, you shouldn't expect to run a six-minute mile. What? You know, like maybe you should do something else. And I'm looking at her thinking, well, you don't look a picture of health and you're a doctor and you're telling me that age 36, I shouldn't be running. There are people in their 70s who do marathons. I'm not going to say, oh, well, I'm now retired from not being a human that can run. And, but her attitude was, I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. And I think we live in a society that accepts, as you get old, being forgetful, being infirm, making noises when you get up and get into a chair and go, Ugh. you know, we kind of live with that. We kind of go, that's okay. And it isn't okay. It's really not okay that we totally accept that as being- Oh, it's terrible. Con- completely normal when yeah. there are so, um, if, I mean, if, if you want to get into it, there's, there's, a, there's a fun piece of light science on TV called Blue Zones. And it's all about places in the world where people routinely live to 100 years old. And then it looks at their lifestyle and how 
you know, how they live, what they do, their social environment, their level of exercise, their food. And, and then it comes to a bunch of conclusions about why people in these particular towns and villages around the world, in places like Sicily and Greece, Costa Rica, there's one in California, um, and uh, Okinawa, why they live that long. And you see that they all have the same five or six qualities, all to do with health, lifestyle and diet. But those people are walking and running and they're slim and healthy. And so I think we, we have this kind of culture that's not very savvy about what we expect. It's normal yeah. to just be a mess over 40. And, and, and the Western solution to that is medication. Yeah, which it's is I, terrible. It's either yeah. go to the gym more, which kind of is okay, but caveman didn't go to the gym. He walked about all day and picked things up off the floor and climbed trees and did stuff. He didn't lift five times his own body weight or run a four. Wow, there's mile. different gyms, obviously, yeah. yeah. Like if you're doing a little easy cardio, swimming some laps, you know, lifting some light weights, it makes sense. But you know? we're dudes but, who, like, who think that yeah. muscles rule. I mean, I'm still an idiot who lifts weights because I yeah. think I look better because I'm a skinny guy. Well, they're, they're, they're saying, but they're saying that that that's good for men in their 40s and getting older mm. because that stops the aging process. Because what happens with the aging process, muscle fibers start breaking down, bone density starts breaking down, all these things come into play. And now, again, new studies, I don't know how accurate they are, but they're saying people that physically lift weights, you know, again, not hurt yourself and not mm. kill yourself, have better results and, and are aging better and have more strength and have more energy. They're seeing benefits to people that are lifting weights. Yeah, I mean, I'd say from personal experience, I feel better lifting heavy things yeah. and feeling strong. It's a nice feeling. But I think, um, but honestly, think uh, when I was in my 30s, my goal was to look cool. My goal right. wasn't health. Now I can see the outcome is health. Right. And I think it's all to do with the fact that we're so aesthetically driven. We're so driven by the external and the perception and what I'm trying to do now as I get a bit older is think about my internal health. You yeah. know, how healthy are my cells? You know, how good is my DNA? How long are the telomeres that have wrapped all my DNA together? You know, what's my physical health like? I mean, I've just, just been, because I've just joined the American healthcare system. So I had my Kaiser Permanente health check and I got all my blood work back. And after three years of taking care of what I put inside my body, all my bloods are like normal for a 30 year old. So I'm pretty happy with that. And I've yeah. got no issues with cholesterol, uh, no issues with bloods, no, blood sugar, got no issues with any of that stuff. So it's kind of, um, is that all working? Yeah. So it's kind of like, I feel like it's paying off. Yeah, but, yeah of course. But, uh, but really, I, I don't, I don't want to get too into it because I don't want to preach about it. I right. Think, no, 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 no. We're having a casual conversation. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm just at Each a place in my life where... I'm thinking, I don't want to be as old as my friends my age who are old. Right. And being, it, it, age is not a disease. It's not an illness. You know, it, we have loads of illnesses but, that create uh, the perception of age. But your body will keep going until something kills it or makes it ill. Yeah. Um, and maybe as you get older, things like popping a blood vessel in your eye will happen more often. Or you'll right. have other issues. But at the end of the day, I don't want to accept age at this time I, i've got a lot of things to do so i'm trying to stay on top of it and if i can stay healthy i can do more i have more focus more energy i can do more business i can get more stuff done i can have a better relationship all of those things just work better yeah a few things i want to i want to add to that uh one the aging is not a disease it's interesting because i was listening to an interview from elon musk maybe five six years ago and you know you always hear about the fountain of youth and what's the fountain mm -hmm. of youth, fountain of youth. And he was talking about it briefly, and he goes, the problem with aging is aging is a disease. I know mm. you just, because he goes, aging is a disease that we've all accepted, that we are all just going to, you know, get gray hair, and we're going to get old, and our bone structure, this, that, that, that. But I'm always thinking of ways of how to, by calling it a disease, because if you don't call it, a, in this example, if you don't call it a disease, you're trying to create the fountain of youth. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but what if scientists started focusing on like Elon Musk and says, what if we can cure this, disease, this aging disease? Mm. What if we can find the medicine that says, well, well, hold on, the hairs don't have to turn white. We don't have to age. And, and the problem and the reason he's so interested in it, he goes, the average man, you know, we'll just say man for right now, is at his wisest and smartest and controls his patience and his drinking and everything at the age of 50. 
So we start getting these quality men mm. that finally have their life together, their finances, they're, they're not gonna get into bar fights, they're balanced. And, and then how much, do they, how much time do they get, 20 years? Well, here's a really interesting thing then. So I've been, I've been on this subject for a little while just because I'm 57, so it right. comes up with guys like you, we have these right. conversations. And um, somebody, I, I always used to love the phrase, uh, youth is wasted on the young, because what do young people know, right? They've got all these, this amazing youth and energy and they're idiots. And they're idiots, yeah. And, um, and I kind of flipped that a couple of weeks ago. I was like, wait a minute, wisdom is wasted on the old. If we allow ourselves, if we allow our bodies to age, where our brains are foggy and we drink too much alcohol and, when, and our arteries get clogged up and we have poor cognition, we, a lot of that's to do with that's true cholesterol too. in the brain and all kinds of stuff where of those tiny capillaries get blocked up in the brain and in other places before they affect your heart. If we, if we waste our wisdom and our knowledge and our experience on forgetting it in bad memory and ill health, then it, wisdom is wasted on wisdom the is wasted and, and in response to sort of the age being a disease thing, I think if we want to generalize, it's, it's an interesting idea. It, but it's think, an idea, of But course. when you look at the writings of somebody like, um, there's uh, Dr. McGregor, is it David McGregor? Uh, who wrote uh, How Not to Die, which is quite an interesting book if anybody wants to read an interesting book. How Not book. to Die. Um, what he does is, he actually says, age isn't a disease. What kills you, uh, there are 16 things in America that are the highest causes of death. And at the top is heart disease. And heart disease is basically fat in your arteries around your heart that stops your heart working. Right, the bad fat. So you, it's not actually your heart has got a disease. It's to do with fat in your arteries. And by the way, it, it's all over your whole body when it's in your heart. Right. Your heart is your biggest veins and arteries. So when it's there, it's everywhere. It's in your fingertips. It's, you know, it's like, you know, at all your extremities. And um, so he says, well, how do we not get that? And then he goes, right, well, now let's look at diabetes. How do we not get diabetes? Now let's look at, you know, uh, lung disease. And he, he takes the top 16 things that kill you and then says, with diet and lifestyle, here's how you don't die of these things. Right. And for example, heart disease is entirely reversible. You know, anyone who's got heart disease, you, you can choose to be on sort of blood thinning medication and various other things. But if you stop eating bad food and fat, your body will get rid of it and your heart and your arteries will recover. And it might take a long time or it might, it might take less time, but it will recover. And, and the same with being pre-diabetic. Um, and there's a lot of confusion over that as well, because diabetes is again caused by LDL cholesterol blocking insulin's access to your cells to allow the sugar in. So the insulin is like a key that opens your cells and the cholesterol blocks the insulin from working properly. So you build up sugar in your bloods. Um, the insulin isn't working properly and then that has chaotic um, sort of outcomes for the rest of the way your body functions because you're not supposed to have all this sugar in your blood. And he explains how to just deal with all those things. So he looks at the overall effect of age as being all these slow burning illnesses that start from when you're a kid based yeah. on what you ingest and how you live, diet and lifestyle. And then says, well, how do you undo that? And how early can you start? So I think the whole thing is, um, it's a little bit like having a motorcycle, isn't it? Like, you know, you ride a motorcycle and if you don't change the tires and, and sort of lubricate the chain and- Change the oil. You know, change the oil. Do, if you don't do all the things that a motorcycle you service needs it. and service it, over time, something is gonna make the bike break down. Right. You might snap a chain, you know, your, your tire may explode on the freeway because causes the, the accident. Are wrong, and that causes the accident, which is, or the death. And so I think what he's doing is he's looking at all these different so, things and going, which is the thing that's going to get you? And by, by the time you're 100, something's going to get you, right? But, right. but it, really what you want is, is you want to think of how healthy can I be for as long as possible? And of he course. talks about health span, not lifespan. I mean, if you live to 70, but the last 30 years of your life, you're in you're a wheelchair and or you're hobbling about and you're hugely overweight and out of control and not living a good life, you're not really living. Yeah. So I'd rather live till 60 and then drop dead, but have a great life. Of course. And so I think I'm in that mode of health span and I'm not- and It's look, a great I'm, mode to be I'm in. not Elon Musk, I'm not a scientist, I'm not the front of all knowledge. I just read stuff and I try stuff. No, the, and I'm not any guru on the subject. I'm just no, no. The, 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 what I took out of that statement was, if, as a scientist, if you say aging is a disease, we're not talking about health. Mm. We're talking about just the aging part of everything. We're not talking about how you age and what you did. But if you, if the approach was, aging is a disease that we've all accepted, mm. 
But if we can cure this disease, then we've created the fountain of youth. Yeah. You know, without saying there's a fountain that you go outside and you dip yeah. yourself and. I think you know. the challenge I've had more is that if you say aging's a disease, which bit of aging? Right, right, exactly. Because is it your weight? Is it your cholesterol? Is it your blood sugar? Is no, it no, your... I, I, I and, think... and I think that's why you can't find a cure for a hundred different things that contribute to aging right. because it's not one thing. I mean, a lot of physical aging and senescent cells and your telomere length, which is what makes your DNA, when your DNA replicates itself in cell division, yeah. when your telomeres, which are kind of like the, the, the bit on the end that holds your DNA together, it's like the, the tip of a shoelace right. that holds it all. When, they get, when the telomeres get too short with constant replication, the cells don't reproduce properly of course. and they die. And that's the actual genetic process right. of, of aging. That, that's, now that's a thing. And that is a thing which I think is gonna get really scary because I think they're gonna use things like CRISPR to mess about with your DNA because there are certain, um, certain compounds that actually clean the DNA up. And, and telomerase, I think I'm saying that right, is a thing that lengthens your telomeres. Um, and you can stimulate that, for example, by cold plunges. And there are lots of stuff around that where they're gonna get- cold plunge? I used to, I don't like it to be honest. Yeah. I know cold plunge is good for you, but I really hate being cold. So yeah. if I'm with a bunch of buddies and we're doing the cold plunge, I'm in. Right. And uh, Vicky loves doing it. And, and I spent time on holiday with our friends in Bali and we did cold plunge every day after a sauna. But if I'm on my own, I don't do it because I don't like it. So yeah. hand up, I'm just a wuss and hate it. But I'm pretty sure it's good for me. Yeah, no, no, the, 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 a new study came out on the cold plunges. Amazing, obviously, your testosterone, everything, it's a refresher, it wakes you up, gives you more energy than anything. The new study was saying it's better if you do it before a workout. Mm. It's better if you wake up, do it, and then force your body to heat up, and, yeah. and the results are even, they're like 100 times multiplier, which is, which is amazing. Because a lot of people are doing it after workouts, yeah. but then they were saying it, it's, you still get a lot of benefits, but it was really bad for muscle growth. So if you're like hitting yeah. the gym and stuff, and then you jump into the cold, energy-wise, and I think still the testosterone part of it is good, but for muscle parts, it's really bad. I so. read the same thing, and what worries me is I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. And no, no, I, I saw it on a podcast yeah. where a doctor and so for me, that, broke that, it down. And that pro podcast has probably been turned into a really good piece of Instagram. And my problem is I'm learning, way, not learning, I'm hearing too much right. on short format right unsubstantiated tailor-made for me algorithm right and it really bothers me i'm beginning to trust it less and less and this kind of makes me nervous because if i'm learning too much about the world through five lines and three graphics i'm not really studying which is why i'm trying to complement stuff with books i mean the thing i read there's a there's a book called life force i think it's called life force uh which is all about uh, the natural things that stimulate uh, cell regeneration and telomerase. And they talk about cold plunges as being one of the things that puts your body under mild stress. So when your body is under mild stress, we generate hormones which run around mopping up cell damage. Right. And, and in including promoting the production of telomerase, which I think we can make it ourselves as well as ingest it or ingest the precursors to it. And what it actually does is it lengthens the life of your cells. And so for people who do things like marathons and people who swim and people who are healthy, their cell age can be much lower than people who have a sed sedentary life. So if you've got somebody who's been an Olympic athlete all their lives and they've been a long distance runner, at the age of 40, their cell age might be 30. Right. Um, because they've, by being under constant stress, their telomeres have maintained their length and so their DNA is more secure and they have less cell death. So, and that stuff was very, about, very much about molecular science and long-term studies. So I, it's just that balance between how do we learn stuff? How do we learn anything? How do we learn about politics? How do we learn about right and wrong in the world when everything is delivered in this kind of three-line, two-graphic meme culture? And, and I'm- It's the, hard. The, the more I hear stuff, the more I've decided, unless I've read it in three books, I don't know shit. Right. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying because I came to the exact same conclusion with these stupid, like, like you know, because of the podcast and because of my account and because, you know, the, the influencer thing, people send me these little snippets of like, how to boost your social media. If you do this and if you put this song and if you put this title and if you put this sentence and if you use this hashtag, and I've seen so many of those that I just realized they're all 
bullshit. What what it is is it's content that people it's content that people will share. Yeah. But that advice does not work because I have done it. I have duplicated it. I've used it. I've reused it. I've tr- I've d- had tried it with four different pages to see if there was different results. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. So then I started thinking about well, wait a minute. If I have like 15 people, 10 people sending me these similar posts, hey Robert, look at, l- listen to what this person said. That video succeeded in being shared and liked, and you know, it succeeded in getting the attention, but the information that they're delivering is not true. Because we live and, in attention society. And we live in an attention yeah. society where people are not even exercising or reading three books to, to even verify that the information. So the problem is, is you get these little two sentence, you know, catchy things delivered into your feed, yeah. and then people just live off that information. You know, which, which is interesting. But again, when it comes to certain podcasts, because I listen to so many podcasts, I've seen those clips, but I've also heard the whole interview and I know the background of that doctor and stuff. And it gives me a little bit more confidence yeah. if it makes sense. Well, that's where editors come in. If you trust right. the podcast interviewer and you think that they're going to have interesting people worth listening to, you're going to pay more attention to of the soundbite. Of course. So, uh, and then another fun fact about the whole people's health that, I, that just blew my mind away this is the first time in the existence of human that poor people are fat. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Well, <laughs> it's I, I so think weird. If, if I was reading some, Noah Yuval Harari's got a great book called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And uh, this is the era where more people are killed by Haribos than bullets. Sugar kills more people 100%. than war. And more people die from overeating than undereating. So more people are killed because they're overweight than die of starvation. Now, think about that existentially. Think about that as you're kind of, let, let's say there's Somalians up there now, since everybody seems to think there are Somalians up there now. Do you? Um, I have no fucking idea. Yeah. I did see a UFO when I was 14, but that's another story. Um, but to me, it's kind of like, you've got to explain that on this sort of planet where there's so much kind of inequality and poverty that but more humans actually die of obesity than from starvation. It's fucking ridiculous. And that more people are killing themselves. I think more people die from suicide than from violence. So more people kill themselves than are killed by others. Fucking I wild. mean, you, you And more people of, die of the sugar thing than, than any other thing, period. I mean, and you, you kind of look at... I remember when COVID started, and if we want to go down a COVID rabbit hole, and I remember kind of reading that this many million people could die. And I was thinking, and I, I, I did some Googling, and it was like um, four, in the UK, 4.2 million people had type 2 diabetes. And type 2 diabetes was one of the biggest contributors to early death and a strain on the National Health System, a National Health Service in the UK. And I'm thinking, well, people are worried about a really bad flu, and, they, and we're willing to stop the economy to deal with it but we're not willing to do anything about people literally giving themselves diabetes. So one's a public health crisis, which is actually a, a naturally occurring cyclic phenomenon, which is a really awful virus, which is gonna target the weak. And that's awful, I'm not saying that's okay. Yeah. But the other is something completely within our control that we can do something about with good legislation, good education, and good programs to look after people, and yet we're not doing anything about that. And that, that one actually kills more people and is long-term and is ongoing and getting worse. And but that one's worse. profitable, we're I think. On, yeah. Well, I think this is the I whole I hate to thing. say it, but... Well, if you ever see the, the documentary called The Social Dilemma, and it's about I social did. media, I did. and it basically says, if you're not paying for content, you're the commodity, you're yeah. the content. So if you don't pay, then someone else is paying to have access to you. You're yep. a user 645892B, and they know you and like that shoes, avatar. and they know you like watches, and they yep. know you like motorbikes. So boom, somebody's paying a lot of money to serve ads to you, and you're the commodity. And I think the truth is when it comes to health and when it comes to food, which is part of health, if there are big, me- if there are big companies and lobbies profiting from you having medicine and eating certain foods that are farmed at scale, there's no way their view on telling you what you shouldn't or shouldn't do is subjective. Yeah. It's no way is it subjective. At all. Because they have an agenda. Of course. And uh, Even the doctors, even your doctor. Yeah. Because how, how do you look at your own doctor out of shape, looks mm-hmm. old, looks speed up? Yeah, okay, he's got a doctor degree, but he doesn't have a nutrition degree. You don't have to learn nutrition to be a doctor. They don't Telling do you... 
what to eat, how to eat. Uh, this is good. Oh, you're eating all vegetables? That's bad. Oh, you're eating all meat? That's like, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Mm -hmm. you, they look like shit. I'm sorry. It's not all doctors, but they look like shit. And, and, and it's like, these are the people that are giving us advice. You, you know, I'm, I'm going to brag. I know this is going to sound bad, but this was a, 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 a happy moment in my life. I'm driving on the freeway with my four-year-old and my four-year-old sees McDonald's and he goes, look, Papa, McDonald's. And I go, yeah, that's McDonald's. He goes, he's going to be five next month. He goes, what do they serve at McDonald's? Nice. And I said, junk, garbage. Mm. And he goes, gross. <laughs> and yeah. I, that moment, I was like, I, have, I didn't even realize it. Yeah. I have a five-year-old that's never been at McDonald's. No fast food. Yeah. You know? And it's not, it's not like I programmed like no, I mean, I did but it was like, I want to give them the best things I can give them, mm. you know? And, and that was just like a, a good moment. But the point is, is the doctors don't know better in a sense for nutrition. Uh, the schools are not really teaching anything better. They're giving shitty food and breads and, you know, chocolate milks that are not organic, whatever the case is. Parents, they're not, they're doing whatever is kind of affordable, I guess, in a mm. sense. Like, like it's, it's, it's a big problem, man. Like, a lot, most Americans are, what, 80%, 90% of shape? Yeah, well, and they say that um, this is the, the next generation is the first generation that will live a shorter life than their parents, which is awful to imagine. Um, I can't remember the statistics on how many people in America will be diabetic by 2050, but it's, I think it's close to 50%. That's terrifying. And all of these things are fixable through education and through good policies. But they don't want to. What, what's the agenda? I, 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 don't, I don't get this. I, I always feel like there's, there's always going to be this kind of elite group of people that know what they should and shouldn't do and have amazing doctors and geneticists and probably go to Brazil and get stem cells and stuff, and they don't care. Have you done that stem cell treatment no, or anything ever? No, I haven't. But I, I don't know enough about it. What about HGH or any of that stuff? No, I heard, I I've heard I'm miracles. really interested in some of that sort of stuff, especially around some of the, uh, I, I can't remember the names of everything now. I was reading about it about a year ago. And there are a lot of these kind of peptides, which are kind of precursors right. to various things. And there's N, uh, NMN and a few other things that there are, are so precursors many. to things which promote cell regrowth and cell regeneration. And again, telomere length enhancement and things. And, and, uh, and all of those things are kind of untested. Uh, there's also, there's a diabetic uh, medicine as well, which I've completely forgotten the name of, uh, which they found accidentally prolongs life. So people who are diabetic on this. Accidentally. Yeah, and, and they go, wait a minute, why are these people living on average a bit longer? And they, they realize that they're all taking the same drug. And now people are trying to get that for, for sort of um, length of life rather than for diabetes. So people are getting a false prescription for being pre-diabetic when they're not. And this conversation is useless if I can't remember the name of the drug. No, but, but it still gives people motivation to research it and Google but, uh, it. But I don't know. It's, it's I think... Well, it's still awareness. I mean, this, this whole kind of environment we're in and the conversation it's kind of caused between us is we're in, we're in this really weird time in humanity where we have a limited amount of capacity to retain information. I mean, I can't remember the name of the drug I was reading about a year ago. Um, and we're saturated with opinions and views and ideas delivered in short form without any depth by people who have an agenda who are trying to make money out of us. So we've almost got no chance of finding the truth. It's almost impossible to know what's real and what's true and what's not, which is why my go-to, my kind of litmus test is, well, maybe if it was likely that's how people were living before civilization and we were evolved to adapt to it, it probably is more likely to be carrying some truth. And obviously through science, we're, you know, awareness, we have improvements on the human condition, but they ought to be based on the benchmark that got us here in the first place. Because I think at the end of the day, we can't know everything. And so I try and pick a few things to really read about. I'm really interested in artificial intelligence and the future and where that takes our world. Really interested in AI. So I'm reading Max Tegmark. Uh, he's got a book called Life 3.0. Really interesting. The opening of it is quite sort of shocking. It's almost like a movie at the beginning, uh, especially where he takes it afterwards. But I'm just picking a few things and I'm thinking, what's important to me, my family, my business and, and my immediate group? And what do I need to know to not make poor decisions? Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm just kind of doing my best. I think we're all just fighting through a fog of bullshit where you really can't trust what comes up on your, your news feed or your Instagram feed or... Well, that, that, that's, it's a conversation that I had uh, recently about 
and I'm going to word it better because it kind of turned into a little bit of a shit show. And, and what I meant is, it's the first time Donald Trump, when he became president, it was the first time that a president of the United States, a person of power, was like, guys, fake news. Like, this is, the, you can't trust the me. This is bullshit. Yeah. And everybody was like, like, it's the first time that, that that term was really like, oh, wait a minute. It is fake news, mm. and now we're seeing, and let alone the social media and the snippets and the clips and people just trying to get attention because we're in this uh, attention economy that people want to get. So it's hard to get news. But then what's the opposite of that? Like I, I'm thinking 80s, 90s, you go to a doctor, you see him for 10 minutes, he's going to tell you you know, a one-liner, like, don't do this, do that, new stuff. Mm. Like, you you had no information. I think that... that Other than your a, neighbors. I think there was a happy place about 10 to 15 years ago where... Mm. Uh, well, the reason I'm going to say this is for a really simple idea. I, I don't know what it was like here because I was in the UK. But... And, and we have institutions like the BBC, which is publicly owned and, public, right. and has its publicly owned news service, which doesn't mean it's unbiased, by the way. There's always bias, conscious or otherwise. Um... But the, the thing that I liked about the idea of being a journalist, when you publish in a newspaper or a magazine, or you go on TV in a, in a proper documentary TV show, like a 60 Minutes or whatever, you are held to account by editors. And, and, and if you lie and if you make stuff up, you would lose your ability to be a journalist. No one's going to employ you. You wouldn't crawl. So every, it's a little bit like being a doctor and having peer review or being a doctor and doing double-blind placebo trials on huge populations to see whether a thing is real or not. Those things, there are methods to work out truth. And, and I think in the past, if you, if you actually went on to a TV show like 60 Minutes and said something, if it wasn't backed up, it's not going to get made. People are going to go, well, wait a minute, is this guy for real? Is it true? But I think what's happened now is because well, that was broadcasting right. where people who were given, and they'd have their own agenda, obviously, and they'd have their biases, but there had to be enough truth in what they said to be allowed to write it in a newspaper, apart from the National Enquirer, maybe, but to write it in a magazine or a newspaper or put it on a TV documentary, they had to have a degree of professional integrity. And you have to be a card carrying journalist to go to a press conference you show your id and who do you work for i work for this i work for the new york times great you can come in you can be in this press conference whereas now news is whatever you or i choose to put on youtube yeah and if people like it and it's popular it becomes truth <laughs> like the and, flat earthers yeah and, and i think you know there's there's a thing that's uh, i can't remember the phrase so i'm going to say it wrong but you know if you tell a lie often enough it turns into the truth yeah and I think that's one of the things that we're suffering from right now. I mean, the flat earth thing, I think, is incredible. It's an incredible outcome of a, a generation of people that are almost post-science. Like, we've all grown up with this really obvious idea of how the universe is constructed. And, and that knowledge and the proof and the burden of proof on it is improving week by week, minute by minute, as they discover new things and, and look at the mechanics. And it changes of the and moves. And... Yeah, but usually they add new, cool, interesting stuff to right. it. Meanwhile, there's a whole bunch of people that said, nah, bullshit, the Earth is flat. I saw a really funny video of some guys trying to prove the Earth was flat with a, with a laser light on a boat. And as the boat sailed over the horizon, the laser was no longer shining on the boat. And they went, oh. And they'd realized they'd actually proved the curvature of the Earth. <laughs> the and, flat Earth, there's a problem. There was a guy telling me that um, the Earth had to be flat because when planes are flying, they'd always have to have their nose slightly down to fly round the curvature of the Earth. And that's not how they fly. I'm like, oh my God, because people don't get into the, they, 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 if, if I was really curious if the earth was flat, I'd start looking at the science. I'd right. start re I wouldn't read memes, I'd read encyclopedias. Wasn't it uh, Galileo that proved it or one of yeah. the Greek scientists with the stick in two different cities two, three hundred years ago? Yeah, I mean, it's, like, uh, <laughs> like put a stick here and then put a stick in two cities down and at the same time, this stick makes a shadow, and this one doesn't. And I, I, know, ah. I know a guy, um, I'm, I'm not going to say who he is, I know, I know a guy who's a flat earther, and um, he flies all over the world in planes. And he thinks all the time. How do you think the pilots navigate? And why do you think it is when they fly from New York, from New York to London, they go over Greenland and Iceland? Right. They, on, a, on a globe, they do this. It's right. because it's the shortest route on Instead a globe. Instead of going around the planet, yeah. yes. Because, in fact, the Earth is about three and a half miles thicker at the equator than it is yeah, uh, because it's, it's not round, it's actually a slight 
oval because it spins. Which is another fun thing that people don't know about. Africa is a lot bigger than what it is on the actual maps yeah. because they can't, like if you look at the real globe, you'll see how bigger Africa really is. Yeah, because the map is a, a two-dimensional two extrapolation yeah. of a 3D object. So there's all this stuff, and, and I think it's really frightening that we live in a world where people are so easily fed bullshit and believe well, it. Well, the problem with that is that nobody has any real worries. There's no, there's plenty of food. There's no here. There's no mm -hmm. food. There's, it's, like, it's like gender roles. You know, somebody made the statement of, you think there's a problem with gender roles of who's doing what in Ukraine right now? There's not. Women yeah. are getting out and the men are fighting. End of story. Yeah. And when shit hits the fan, everybody defaults to gender role. But here, since there's nothing serious in the last, what, 20 years, 30 years, there's no drafts, there's no nothing. The world's flat, you know, uh, oat milk today, uh, whole milk. Like, it, it, we're nitpicking now. But also, I don't know about you, but when I was like 15, 20, but that, there was a period in my life where... I was new to adulthood and it wasn't fair. Life wasn't fair. I didn't like the man. I didn't like the government. I didn't like the police. I didn't like anything I like now. And uh, because I wasn't making good money, I didn't own property, I didn't have a family. I was a young, angry kid and I didn't understand. I mean, I, you know, Life's unfair. I grew up in the 70s and, you know, there was a real threat of nuclear annihilation. We used to have these kind of like, you know, hide under the table in a nuclear, paint the windows white when the four minute warning goes. We used to have the four minute warning in the UK. And you, we, grew, we, we grew up in this fear when I was a kid of oppression, like we're gonna die and we're gonna blow the planet up. And I grew up angry. Like who are these awful people that are gonna blow the world up? And I wanted to ban the bomb, change the world. You know, I, I, my dad was a banker. I, th I thought he was an embarrassment making money out of selling stuff that nobody wanted just to make money. I remember having an argument with him and saying, oh, you, you, you buy pork bellies when you, you don't want to eat pork bellies and then you sell them to other people who want pork bellies just to make more money. And I was- You I were was mad at that. <laughs> I was mad. And I was mad with everything. And, and I think young people- Don't are, you sell pork bellies right now? Well, I think, <laughs> well, yeah, to, to, but it's a different- I, yeah, I, 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 I know, know. Maybe, maybe we get a second teenager in our 50s. Right. But, uh, but for me, when we're, you know, if you look at a pride of lions, as soon as that, big young male lion is big enough to challenge the, the leader of the pack, he takes him out. Right. Um, and as, our job as teenagers is to rebel and to go, wait a minute, what the hell? Why am I not the boss? And meanwhile, you know, the patriarchs will keep you down until you're big enough to take them on and take them out. When you extend that to society, you've got an awful lot of young people full of vitriol and anger and frustration and a feeling of disempowerment because they don't own a car yet. They don't have a house. They don't have a stake in life. They don't Children. have a job and a career, yet they're physically adult. And so they get out there and they protest and they want to be angry and they want to change and they don't like anything. And, you know, and the whole idea of the, the gender question, I mean, I, I really don't care what someone's gender identification is. I literally don't care. Are you a nice person? Are you not a nice person? End the story. If you want to make it complicated, I make, I probably get it wrong. Like if you want me to call you something weird, I'm sorry, I'm old, I'll get it wrong, but please don't take it personally. I don't object to you. No, I'm no. just set in my ways. Um, but it's kind of, you know, but growing up, young people just went through a little bit of confusion for some and others didn't. But now that's almost empowered. It's almost like, well, you know, you, you need to have so, some sort of gender fluidity until you know who you are. I mean, it, it, it kind of, it's a new interpretation of just young people's frustration and young people finding their way. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it, we've enabled this over-exploration. Over and of course, as we get older and more wise, as we were talking about earlier, as we approach a bit of wisdom, we look at these young people making their lives way more complicated than they need to be, being way too angry about stuff that really doesn't matter and nobody cares. And we think it's laughable and stupid. And then we end up with this kind of Gen Z or baby boomers, Gen X versus Gen whatever millennial bullshit thing. Right. Um, but it's just the stage that we're at in our lives. They're, they're at stage stupid. Well, great. Right. When you're no. all 50, 55, 60, you'll look back and you'll go, what the fuck? What an I? idiot I was. What a waste of time. Uh, but on the other hand, it creates change. And sometimes that's interesting. You know, I mean, the, the problem with old, us old people ruling the planet 
is that we're not around for long. And unless you've got kids, it's not easy to keep an eye on what the world will look like in 100 years. It's like our politicians. They're only in power for four years. So, next, yeah. you know, they, they really, they're looking at what's right in front of them. They haven't got their head up looking, looking at the apex of the corner. They're looking at their front wheel going, where's my bike pointing right now? And they're the ones that are going to crash because they're not looking at where, they're going, where they want to go. They're looking at where they're pointing. Right. And they're focused on the now. I mean, there always used to be this thing about Japanese politicians and economists would look at 50-year plans. Whereas here we look at, well, what's going to get it? What's, the politicians go, well, what's going to get me voted in next? What's popular? What's right. going to look good? So I think, you know, it's, it's generational. And I, I think it'd be a terrible time to be a young person. How confusing. Oh. I mean, it's, Jesus, I wouldn't want to be... I mean, I got 14 and a 21 year old. Oh my gosh. Their world is so much more complicated than mine was. Well, there, there was one that I heard that just like, I couldn't even imagine uh, the whole bullying thing, you know, like in our time, if there was somebody bullying somebody, as soon as school was over, the bullying stopped. It was mm -hmm. over. You go home. That's your safe. If I hate school, you tell your parents, I don't want to go. There's a bully, this, that, that. Your parents make a scene in the story. But now you hear about, you know, after school, people go home and they get home and they look at their social media yeah. and bully, bully, bully and take a picture. And look, you picked your nose and you picked your butt and you had a wedgie and then fuck you. And they, like, it's so negative and yeah. disgusting that there's no escaping it. And then you're being judged by so many people. We were never meant to be judged by thousands of people. And you have these girls that are 14, 15, 16, mm -hmm. 17. And, and the world's like, you're ugly, you're fat, you're disgusting, you know, you're skinny, you're anorexic. The guy, you're too tall, you're too short. Like, it's, 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 it's pretty raw, man. And kids mm -hmm. don't have the filter to, like, oh, they don't mean this or this is, they're dealing with their own thing. So it, it's terrifying. I would not want to be a child. No, I think it's awful. Because the thing is, those are examples. You know, I've, I've got a phone in my pocket right now. And if you said, hey, Dutch, let's, t let's pause for a minute. I'm going to go to the restroom. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get my phone out and just check and have a look. And if there's nothing on my email or of interest, I might just look at Instagram. And then suddenly I'm just looking at bullshit. Now, I'm a grown adult man who didn't grow up with this device until about, when did the iPhone come out? 2007. So until then, I had none of this shit. So it's... it's, it's well, social it's, media didn't take off yeah, at all. So, yeah, so, none, you know, Facebook, Instagram, none of that existed. Yet, even at this age... I think. Yeah, even at this, so 10 years, even at this age, after a decade, I'm now programmed to grab my phone. Like, if I'm watching a movie, yeah. and there's an ad break, yeah. you know, because I'm too cheap to pay the full subscription and I'm allowing ad breaks, I'm on my phone. And I wake up in the morning, and me and Vicky, my wife... The first thing we do is look at our phones. I mean, it's partly because we're checking UK emails. Right. But right after that. But it's like, why am I looking at my phone? Like, leave it out. You, you shouldn't have to be doing that. And I think you, you take the, the power of the endorphins that that has created for us as adults and give that to a 14-year-old. They're powerless. Forget about it. And, uh, you know, I've got a 17-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old daughter. And both of them have had their real challenges with social media and, and who they are on their phones. And, uh, you know, what my daughter was doing stuff that we'd agreed she would never do on her phone. So we were like, we're going to take your phone away. And, you know, and we, you have to delete that Instagram account that you've got because you broke all the rules. And her biggest uh, anxiety was not, can I message my friends? And, you know, will, will people be able to reach me? It was losing her 900 followers. Now, wow. when you're 15, how do you know 900 people? You don't. Right. You don't know 900 people. I mean, they say an adult can know about 110 people before we start forgetting people. Right. You know, as an, as an active human, we operate in groups of around 100, which is why Roman centurions are about 100. A brigade is about 100. There are lots of things that show how about 100 people, and when a company's about 100, 110 people, you can know everyone's name, and right. all that kind of thing. But no one knows 900 people when they're 15. Uh, there's a whole bunch of fake people, some dodgy older guys pretending to be younger guys. There's all kinds of predatory Perverts, people there. There are predators. fake profiles. Yeah. And I remember going through her phone going, well, who's that? And then who's that? She was going, oh, but I've got all these friends. And, and I said, well, let's, stay, let's have a look. Well, yeah. this person has got no posts. 
and here's this person's got no posts, and this person's got no posts. Who and, are and, they? And, but more importantly, what are you posting yeah. that you need to show 900 people? But are you know. teaching? Are you educating? Are you offering some kind of gathering likes? Because it's like walking around with a rating. So you're walking around with a little badge that goes, I'm a five-star person, I'm a four-star person, I'm a three-star person. It's ever-present. And, and I think we even do it now. Like, you know, if somebody messages me on Instagram and says, hey, Dutch, I really love what you're doing at Bike Shed and I'd really like to come and work for you or I've got a great business idea and I think you should hear it, I will go on his Instagram and look at him and I'll judge by what he's posted and how many followers he's got and how he describes himself, whether he's somebody that I'm going to reply to. Right. Because it's the only metric I've got. I don't have his, right. I don't have his resume. A CV, resume. have a look. So I can understand why people, and people rate our success. They go, oh, you've got 1.5 million followers on Bike Shed's combined social media or you reach 1.2 million people a week or, or even, uh, I mean, I've got uh, 11,000 followers on my personal Instagram. That's not because I'm amazing. It's because I'm Dutch from the bike shed and bike shed tags me in. And so people go, oh, follow that guy. But I'm not particularly interesting. I don't see anything great. Mostly it's pictures of my bike. And when I look at my feed, it's all the same thing over and over again. But I just, but people will go, oh, you've got a following of your own. You're an influencer. I'm like, I'm really not any kind of influencer. Right. I'm just some dude who runs a business and I get tagged in by my business profile. But people see it as a measure. And I think that's so dangerous. And we, we judge other people's success and popularity and relevance based on how many people follow them. And then there's all these people out there trying to sell me follows. Like, oh, I... I all, all that. Yeah, and there, it's like, oh... tons we, of them. You know, for $100, I can have another 2,000 followers. And you what can see... What 2,000? They're offering 20,000, 30,000 followers. Like, yeah. what? It's, so it's kind of like, you know, these farms of follow... The companies that I know. think it's AI now. Yeah, probably. I think is. it's AI because it, it's too many random people with the same message. And I'm like, well, what, what are they doing? But isn't that awful if you're a teenage kid? Because I can judge my success by a marriage, having children, by my job, my job titles, my resume, you know, what, what I've done with my life. But if you're 17 and you still live at home and all you've really got is, you know, your, BMX your outfit bike. and your boobs or whatever and no. you're gonna get likes because you wanna look hot that day. Yeah, what a horrible way to grow up into the world. And what's that gonna turn you into later on? Now you're gonna be yeah. stressing about your next outfit, the next shirt, I can't, he took a picture with that shirt, I can't take that shirt, like it's, it's problematic. But then like mm. you said, businesses look at that. Now when you wanna get a job, people look at, people look at uh, social media. Yeah, and a lot of people don't get jobs because their social media's in Yeah. I mean, I've, I've looked at people's Facebook profiles before and thought, uh-oh, I'm gonna dodge that guy. I was gonna ask, so you have done yeah, that. Yeah, I've done that because you find out about what, 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 what have you seen that you're like, uh-oh, red flag? Uh, I've seen people doing some really he heavy political rants, mm. and I don't really care what their politics is, but I'm thinking, do I want that person as part of my business? Right. Because we're very much about common ground, and, and if somebody's got a public profile out there and they're really shouting about something they feel strongly about, it's going to affect how we're judged if they're in a senior management position. Because there's a lot we can all disagree about in the world. But... Oh, when you really look at it, we agree on most things. We mostly agree, uh, you know, we agree on being honest, freedom, working hard, you know. We and want to live, we want to survive, we don't want to free to do what we want to do, a life of liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We all agree on those basic ideas. But we're so focused on, well, do you support Gaza or Israel? I'm, I don't know. I don't why, know. why do I have to choose? What, I, mean, Jesus, I don't, I don't I even just, know what's going on. You know, I just see loads of people with guns killing people without guns. It's all bad. I don't like any of it. I'm not going to have an opinion. I'm not qualified. And, I, and I, you can see merits and disasters on both sides, but everyone has to have an opinion. And it's the same with the, the sort of gender fluid, gender identity thing. People can get very passionate about being super liberal. People can get very passionate about being super conservative about it and saying men are men and women are women and it's in your chromosomes, deal with it. And, and the thing is, what I want people to do is be reminded of the things we agree on because it's okay to disagree about stuff. It's okay to sit across from the table, to sit across from someone on a table who completely disagrees with you about something as boring as gender identity. Right. Uh, because if we completely disagreed on gender identity, you're still, you know, you're still somebody who's becoming a friend of mine. You're a member of our club. You're a customer. I like you. Why would I let that get in the way of all the things we agree on? I couldn't give a shit. I'm not right. going to suddenly get angry with you about it. And I think... Um, you know, that we focus so much on the things we disagree on. And, and social media amplifies that because you get the echo chambers of what you already think. 
And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges we face going forward is that we're this fragmented society of people that are angry with each other for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. I mean, you know, as an outsider in America. Even, and hanging on to it. Yeah, but even coming to America as an outsider, I see Americans, but Americans see Republicans and Democrats. I don't really see that. I see a whole bunch of people that are really similar, that so, are yeah. all doing pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And the political spectrum between Democrat and Republicans about here and the rest of the world, it extends this way, you know, uh, from dictatorships to communism. You guys are all in the middle and along with Europe and the UK, we're all only go from here to here. There's right. some really extreme stuff out here and no one's playing in that realm. And um, so I think we just need to be reminded a little bit that we agree on way more stuff and that's what we should I, focus on. I, I think the thing is, uh, what you're saying is, uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at the whole board, you're right. Most people are here in the middle. Mm. It's just the people on the far right and the far left, these guys are making noise. Yeah. And that noise is what's being you know, clickbait and news. But overall, the and whole country is kind of like, yeah. 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 No. same thing. I give the example of, you know, people say, strangers, strangers, watch out, strangers. I go, guys, we jump on fucking the 101 freeway, the 405 freeway with thousands of other people mm. on death machines. If we were going to hurt each other, like that would be where it would happen on the freeway, in traffic, tempered with a 5,000 pound, 3,000 pound, uh, and just start murdering. But we don't. We, we all want to get home. We're all minding our own business. We're all listening to our own music, you know, and, and we're, we want to go to work. We want to get to our families or, or whatever party. That's it. Like, it, it's safe. We're, overall, we're good. And then what's funny uh, to, to go against that, any problem I've ever had was never with a stranger. It was always people close yeah. to me. It's yeah. always a, it's always a, a family member or, or or a friend that you know robbed you or took advantage of you or lied to you or used this of you. It was never a stranger that just mm. randomly. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's a lot less. Well, I think the problem is is when stuff does happen that's shocking, and and you know don't get me wrong. I mean, LA's got a serious problem with violent, dangerous crack addicts living on the street who are homeless who might stab you in the eye with a screwdriver. LA's that, an exception. That happens. It, it's real. I mean, LA, New York, and, and, and yeah. Miami, there, there are certain cities. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, definitely true because, uh, you know, Vicky and I were attacked by a homeless man in downtown. Really? Yeah, really bad with a big fucking knife. Oh, my God. And uh, we were lucky to get away with it unscathed. It was really bad, and police involved, and a whole nine yards. Um, and again, it, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It I'm could have saying. been a fatal attack. But. But my, my point is, things like that are unusual, uh, but they're the things that make the headlines. So when something does happen where some stranger, I think I was reading on the news yesterday that some guy who's like some pillar of the community who's involved in all these charities, homeless woman went into his house and just shot him. And everybody's really confused. Like, why did she pick him? Did he know her? Didn't he know her? They've got no relationship. Because Where did out, she get the gun outlying, from? outlying news makes the news. You know, unusual stuff, because it, otherwise it wouldn't be in the news. You know, when people do go crazy on the freeway and shoot people over a parking incident that they had earlier in the parking lot, that makes news because mostly we're all driving on the freeway in our lane just trying to get home. That's it. But what we're given as information is, you know, the 0.1% of weird stuff that happens. And that's also true for the way I think young people absorb social media because, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, they... Although they're part of this huge populations of, of however many billion humans there are on Earth, um, what they see is they see the extraordinary outliers who've been really successful. And right. so you judge yourself against the worst of the worst and the best of the best. We did a, a, an event here, and it was an influencer summit. So there were about two dozen people went up on stage in front of an audience of four or 500 wannabe influencers and told them the formulas for how to be popular on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and all those things, right? and Snapchat. And they all got up, they were experts, and they all had between 1 million and 20 million followers each. And, and I sat in on some of it. We've got a social media channel, maybe I'm gonna learn something. And they talked about thumbnails and hashtags and titling, all the stuff you're getting targeted at, right. with these people saying, hey, Bob, do, do it this, this way, you're gonna do that. You know, you're You'll gonna, blow up. Yeah, it's gonna blow up and it's gonna go crazy, but really, what it was, was an audience full of people looking at the success story, looking at the 1%. And the 1%'s advice, when you really boil it down, was be better. Right. It would, it would, be, it would be like going Consistent. to, yeah, be like going to uh, a, a guitarist conference 
and everyone in the audience is sitting there with their guitar and Slash is on stage and he's there being a guru telling you how to be a rich and famous guitarist. What a guitarist. great analogy. So Slash is up there and he goes, well, first of all, you need to be really good. Right. So go get really good. Be a really good guitar player because you need good playing. Then you need some great songs. So they've got to be hits. So write some hits. <laughs> That's number two. So first be really good. Yeah. Ne next, write some hits. Then, of course, you need a band and the band have to be really, really Badass. good. So you need a band. And then they've got to be signed with a record deal. So go get a record deal, tick. And then everyone has to love your stuff and you have to get radio airplay and, and TV shows and be on MTV. And then people will buy your stuff and then you'll be rich and tick. And this is the formula for how to be a rich and famous guitarist. Just like me, I'm Slash from Guns N' Roses. This is how you do that. And everybody's there going, this is what you do. And it's like, what they're really telling you is be better. Right. Make better content, be more engaging, be interesting, be likable, re be relevant. Yeah, work your be, ass off you know, and then be consistent. And, and I think no one, everybody thinks they can take the shortcut by following some formula. Right. I mean, if people listen to your podcast and watch your videos, it's because they like what you do. You've, right. you've nowhere else to go with that. Right. They either like it or they don't like it. Right. I mean, and and, and the story. And you, you can and they'll have, like some and they won't like others. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you get the advantage of being famous beforehand, like a Joe Rogan, and you get a whole crowd and you get amazing guests as a result and all the rest of it, you can snowball and you, there's a whole tipping point thing you can, that everybody right. kind of has read about in marketing. But then it's still back to consistency yeah. and so you, the board. Yeah, you've, you've just got to do the job, right? And I think young people just don't want to hear it. And I think now even what, they hear older this? than young people don't want to hear it. Yeah. They don't, you know, I've been told so many times how lucky I am. Yeah. Oh, Dutch, you were so lucky you got into the bike thing just at the right point. And I'm like, it's the hardest fucking business to be in. <laughs> firstly, it doesn't make you rich, by the way. Don't do it. It doesn't make you rich. Uh, and secondly, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I am. Yeah. And uh, it, there's no luck involved. There is well, my favorite definition of luck is when opportunity meets preparation. When opportunity and preparation meet, that's luck. That's yeah. luck. I mean, you can be unlucky and you can be lucky, but at the end of the day, and it happens. The consistent daily doing the job and, and doing it to the best of your ability and people either like it or they don't. It, it happens. I, I've seen, I've always wondered because I've seen the, um, the person open up a restaurant and spend a lot of money and, and invest in artwork and food and this, that, 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 that. And for whatever reason, they couldn't survive long enough to be successful and they had to close down the doors. And then you're like, oh man, that was such a good place. Why did that place close? And, 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 I, and, I, and I know restaurant business mm. overall is just crazy, but then a, a, a new person takes over and the service sucks, the food sucks, you know, the experience kind of sucks and they succeed mm. and they last. They, they went past the hump and, and they're doing great. And there's, there's a restaurant, I don't want to say its name, but it's, it's right by where, where I live in Studio City. And this place has been there since the 70s and they do tacos, but they do the worst tacos. Like they do... They do a shittier version of Taco Bell tacos, yeah. not carne asada. None of and I went there one time just to try it out because I'm like, oh, this place has been here since 1977. Must be amazing. And I was like, do you have carnitas, carne asada? Nope, 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 nope. And I was like, well, what do you have? They're like ground beef. And I go, okay, like, can I get a corn tortilla? Nope, flour tortilla or hard shell. And I'm like, oh, man, can I get a, okay, I'll do that. Let me get a horchata or jamaica. They're like, no, we have Coke, Pepsi, and Sprite. Like, but it's still there. So there is this weird luck thing or what's for someone is for someone because I, I just seen, I, I have seen really good businesses fail. Sometimes timing. Timing. Um, and, and also- Economy, the timing. The economy that you're in. I mean, you know, 2019, uh, we modeled this business in 2019. So Which, we're coming to America, 2017, 18, we're gonna open Bike Shed, 2019, do a business plan. All the economies around doing what we do in restaurant, retail and events were completely different. So we make half the money we forecast in 2019 in 2023 because of the economy, the, the actor strikes, the writer strikes, uh, post-COVID and everything costs more money. Everything costs 30% more and, uh, and, and people are spending another 20, 30% less and you just end up making less money because the, the environment and the market pre-COVID and post-COVID in Los Angeles are entirely different. And uh, you know, th there's been a huge sort of uh, uh, you know, pe loads of people have left an exodus of people with money and creative people leaving for other states and cities to go and do work where they get better paid and there are lower taxes and less sort of hassle. 
Um, and LA's changing. And so right now, you know, it's a different economic environment. And I think sometimes when places have been around a long time, what they benefit from is fame. Um, and you, you need to be around a long time. And so if you're there at the sweet spot in certain economies, when you're around when a thing is happening or a street or an area is buzzing and bustling and exciting, you can be carried on that wave. And then a decade later, you're an institution. Right. And uh, I always make the barbershop analogy. So you open a barbershop and you, you put a lot of effort into marketing and promoting it. And you tell all your friends and you go out there and you put leaflets everywhere. And week one, everyone's coming to get their hair cut and it's awesome. And you get full chairs every week. And then week two, you go, oh, where is everybody? What happened? We were popular. Yeah. Now, the problem is all your week one people are going to come back in week four or week five because you get your haircut once a month. Right. So you've got to have another round in week two of the same work and another round in week three. Now, if you keep going, when you get to week four and week five, your week one people are back on top. And now you've got more people getting their haircut. Right. So you've got to feed the beast for you enough survive, cycles. Of course. And, and um, you know, I, I remember meeting somebody uh, who came into Bike Shed about a year ago, and he said, oh, this is my favorite place in LA, the food, the service, the vibe. It's incredible. He said, I don't even ride a bike, but me and my wife love this place. This yeah. is possibly our, our favorite spot. And I'm like, Graham, when did you come here last? And he said, oh, it was just after you opened. And I was like, that was 10, 11 months ago. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, we're your favorite place in LA. And you're LA, only going once or and twice. And you're gonna come here once or twice a year. And because LA's got so much choice. So as a business, whatever you do, you've got to build the returning customer. And if your returning customer comes three times a year and you're trying to do 300 covers a day, how many people do you need as your total customer base to supply that many people over and over again consistently right. until you're full? And then your year on year is in, in incremental growth. And that's, where, that's why I think some, some businesses don't and, and if and, and but I, some places open up and and it's 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 just a lottery yeah. like they hit and it's just flowing in and flowing in and, flowing. and again yeah. those are the exceptions i get it that's not all the time but like and i know restaurant business overall is like oh it's a little gray area i i, I got two questions for you uh one la versus london because mm. we we briefly talked about how the problems here are different than the problems there. Yeah. They both have their problems and their situations. And then another question that we were talking about, now that you said the whole COVID thing, if you would have waited a year or two, or fuck that, Bike Shed doesn't exist. Mm. Would you open up Bike Shed in LA today? 